All right, so we are actually beginning an eight-week sermon series today, and we're calling it Worship and the Psalms. Worship and the Psalms is actually based upon an album, or actually two albums, by a duo named Shane and Shane. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of them uh, before, but uh, they have something that they're starting called the Worship Initiative, and of course, we're focusing on one of our five uh, sort of key functions of the church this month, which is worship. And uh, so they've come up with these two different albums, and what they've done in the albums is they're putting psalms to worship. And so this morning, we're actually going to be preaching on Psalm 90, which was read earlier, but then Emily and and the the rest of the crew is going to play Shane and Shane's rendition of Psalm 90 to set up the sermon for this morning. So without further ado, let me turn things over to them. Let's take one moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the beautiful poetry of that psalm, Father. I thank you for your word to us that, uh, that that psalm reminds us, Father, that from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, that you have been our dwelling place. Father, I thank you for the, uh, the reminder um, and the admonition that when the sun comes up in the morning, that we would be satisfied with your love more than we're satisfied with anything else, Father. I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, thank you, Emily, and the rest of the team for being willing to lead that song. I hope that today that song echoes in your head, maybe as you're um, walking around the house, as you're taking a walk somewhere else. Um, you heard the words of Psalm 90, not only read earlier in the service, there are 17 verses, but then you just read that psalm put to music by Shane and Shane. It's impossible for us to unpack all 17 verses, or if we did so, it would take a very long time. And so we're going to be looking just at verses 9 through 14 today of Psalm 90. And just a reminder, the title of the psalm is A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. And so this is actually a psalm that's written by Moses. Let's read again verses 9 through 14. They'll be up on the screen. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. All our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Now again, if you think about it, Moses saw the slavery of his people. He was separated from his family at birth. He witnessed violence and he responded with violence. He then fled into the desert where he started a new life. He eventually led the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the desert where the people complained They rebelled and they wandered more and more out in the desert. In other words, Moses saw more than his fair share of trouble and sorrow. And on top of all that, the backdrop of this psalm is Moses' understanding of the implications of the fall of Adam and Eve. That's the idea of wrath and punishment and suffering is that's the result of the fall. Verse 11, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. So what do we see here in these verses, just these simple five verses? Immediately we're brought face to face with our mortality, the fleeting nature of life and the inevitability of death because of sin. Happy Mother's Day. Hope everyone has a good lunch. See you guys. Just kidding. Just joking. Needless to say, we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about death. Filmmaker Woody Allen once said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. A mentor of mine, I've told this before, Frank Brock, um, served as the executive vice president of Brock Candy. 
and then the president of Covenant College for 14 years. After he retired from Covenant, he went to work doing estate planning. Essentially, if you are particularly wealthy, then as much as 50% of your income uh, will either go to the government or to a charity of your choice, of, of your choosing upon your death. And so Frank felt a burden uh, to help people be intentional with their wealth, with their money. And what he found was somewhat shocking. What he found was that he would go work with all these men and women who had been amazingly intentional throughout their life with how they handled their money and handled work and handled wealth. But when it came to estate planning, many of them, if not most of them, had done nothing. He said when he met with them, they were utterly terrified and refused to think about their death. He ref- they refused to think about the end of their lives. It was too frightening for them. And so they just avoided the topic altogether. And part of his job was to help people face their mortality with courage, with wisdom, and with intentionality. This morning, we're going to look primarily at verse 12, which says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's take a moment and let's break down this little verse bit by bit. First, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There's an obvious assumption here. When we ask someone to teach us something, it's obviously because we don't know something or maybe we don't know how to do something. And in this case, that something that Moses is talking about is numbering our days. Apparently, without outside help, we don't know what to do, or we simply won't do it. Take reading, for example. Most of us would agree that reading is an incredibly important skill. Maybe you're not reading Dostoevsky or Tolstoy, but you still need to order off of the Panda Express menu. You still need to figure out how to set up your Apple TV. Reading is important. Parents know all too well that children don't just learn reading by accident. There are hours and hours reading Richard Scarry. If you guys remember Cars and Trucks and Things That Go, I think we have a picture up here. There's hours and hours of reading Dr. Seuss, One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. You know, all of these things are done before bed at night. They're done during the day. As children, we all had to be taught this valuable skill of reading, and we need to be taught to number our days as well. There's a very simple and quick application here to this point, and it's this. You, we, need to be willing participants in this endeavor. We need to join with Moses in asking God to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What do we see next in this simple little verse? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The Hebrew word translated here as number is a word that's used in counting money, it's counting livestock, it's even used in counting approaching armies. There's an element of precision and intentionality that's embedded in how this word is used. Needless to say, in each of those contexts, banking, farming, and war, the act of counting needed to be taken quite seriously. It needed to be precise, it needed to be intentional. I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again because it's kind of funny. Um, I don't know if it was my sophomore year or my junior year, but I got a babysitting gig up on Lookout Mountain for a family that had four boys. And if I remember correctly, the youngest boy was four, and then there was a six-year-old, there was an eight-year-old, and maybe the oldest kid was 10. And I'd never met the family before, but shockingly, I was surprised they chose me, a you know, 19 or 20-year-old guy to watch over their children, whatever. But I remember driving to their house and uh, pulling up a long driveway that was wooded that went up to their home. And as I pulled up the driveway, I saw a couple of the boys playing in the woods over here, and I saw another boy playing in the wood over there. And then I saw the four-year-old, and he was going tinkle right by the driveway on a tree. And I remember kind of laughing and being like, sweet, this is my kind of gig. I got this. Anyway, so pulled up there, met the parents. You know, they called the kids or whatever. They were going out on a date. And so hung out with the kids for a little while. 
And, uh, and basically, um, they said, why don't you take the kids to the playground up on the mountain? It's called the Mountain Maze. And so I loaded these four boys up into the back of my Bronco, which I'm sure did not have enough seat belts for everybody, but the parents didn't seem to mind that much. And so we hopped in the, the Bronco, we drove to this playground, and the kids just sort of poured out of the car. They ran into the playground where, you know, there were a bunch of other kids playing, and they ran around, were having fun. And my sole job was just to make sure that everybody came back alive, that nobody got injured, that we didn't lose anybody, et cetera, et cetera. And I just remember watching, and the little guy, the four-year-old, kept taking off his pants and running around in his underwear. And I had to chase him down and put his pants on over and over again. It was a total adventure. Well, finally, it was, you know, we needed to be back home by a certain time. And so I was like, all right, guys, let's go. So I kind of rounded everybody up, got the four-year-old's pants from where they were laying on the ground somewhere. Let's go into, get back in the Bronco. So I led him to the Bronco, got, it, got in, the, you know, in the Bronco, and I was smart enough to do a little head count before we left. And so I went one, two, three, four, five. And I thought for a second, I was like, hold on, I'm supposed to have four. One, two, three, four, five. And I looked in the back and I saw this kid that I didn't recognize. And I go, and I said, who are you? And one of the kids goes, that's my, that's my friend. And I said, oh, okay. I said, uh, what's going on? And they said, well, he's going to come home with us. And I said, oh, great. Did you ask his parents? And uh, the guy said, no. And so I was like, all right, well, let me go back and talk to his parents. It's a good thing that I counted these kids before we left the playground. Question is, how do we go about numbering or counting our days? One of the things we could do is we could look at the average life expectancy in America there's actually a watch called the ticker. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this before. There's a picture behind. It displays how many days you are estimated to have left until you pass away. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you something funny about that in a minute. You plug in your age, your gender, family health history, and it spits out an estimate that then begins a countdown that displays on the watch face. So every time you look at it, it's telling you an estimate of how much time you have left. That is a very, very sobering reminder. The person displayed in this picture has 35 years, five months, and 17 days left. Just imagine for a moment if that's you. I'm 50, and so that could be me. It could, I could die at 85 years, five months, 17 days. That's a, that's a real number. By the way, I went to their website, and they are out of business. <laughs> uh, apparently, people do not like numbering their days. Anyway. I know some people, um, a guy named Randy Pope, for example, who fills a jar with marbles, and then each year he estimates you know, the amount of time he has left. He pulls out a, a marble at every single birthday just as a reminder of how much time he has left. You might also go about numbering your days by looking at who has passed away over the last year and how old they were. At the end of each year, I usually read these articles um, that list the famous people who have passed away over the last year. It serves as a sobering reminder of the brevity of life. Here's a very, very truncated list of some people who we lost in 2021. Actress Betty White died at 99 years of age. Rapper Biz Marquis died at 57. Yes, that is for you, Ryan Stanger. <laughs> Actor Ned Beatty died at 83. Triathlete father Dick Hoyt, I'm not sure if you remember Dick Hoyt, but he pushed his th son through maybe hundreds of different triathlons. He passed away at 80. Comedian Norm MacDonald died at 61. Baseball legend Hank Aaron died at 86 years old. The list could go on and on and on. Teach us to number our days. And interestingly, if you remember in verse 10 that was read earlier, Moses gives an estimate of our number of days. He said this, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass 
and we fly away. So 3,500 years ago, Moses estimated the average life expectancy at somewhere between 70 and 80 years. Guess what the average life expectancy is for people in America or was for people in America in 2021? 76.6 for men and 81.6 for women. So, so interestingly, after 3,500 years, our average life expectancy has not changed much at all. Teach us to number our days. Finally, at the end of this verse, we're told why this is important. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The word translated gain here in verse 12 is the word bow in Hebrew, and it can be translated to win access or gain access into. It was often used in describing gaining ground in a battle. And when I think of it, I think of battle scenes and movies and books that I've read. For those of you who have ever read or seen The Return of the King, you probably remember the scenes where the armies of Mordor are sieging Minas Tirith. And the first thing they did was attempt to break down the gate with a giant battering ram that they named Grond, G-R-O-N-D, which is a great name for a battering ram. It's so big that it has to be wielded by these giant trolls. And in the movie, the enemy armies break down the gate of Minas Tirith, Minas Tirith, and they come flooding in. They gain access into Minas Tirith. The idea is that this process of numbering our days is actually a battle. A heart of wisdom is not easily acquired. It's a fight. Mark Hunsaker recently passed on a quote to me that I found really meaningful. It's from William Butler Yeats. It takes, he says this, it takes more courage to examine the dark corners of your own soul than it does for a soldier to fight on the battlefield. Let me read that one more time because I think it's true. It takes more courage to examine the dark corners of your own soul than it does for a soldier to fight on the battlefield. Often the spiritual, relational, and emotional battles that we fight require far more bravery than any of those that exist in the physical realm. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses could have said, teach us to number our days that we might live well. Or he could have said, teach us to number our days that we might be successful. Or teach us to number our days that we might really make really good decisions in life. I don't doubt that each of those things actually flows from that realization, but it's not what he said. God, speaking through Moses, tells us that his desire for us is to acquire, to gain access into a heart of wisdom. God doesn't just want behavior modification. It's far too easy to do the right thing for the wrong reason. God wants us to be changed from the inside out. God desires for our hearts, for your hearts, for your heart to be changed. So then, if we gain that heart of wisdom, what does that give us? What do we gain? I'm going to read a couple of things. First of all, I'm going to argue that when we gain a heart of wisdom, we gain a heart that experiences rest and peace. Listen to Proverbs one thirty three. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. Whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm, rest, and peace. A heart of wisdom is a heart that experiences the sweetness of life and the hope for the future. Listen to Proverbs 24, verse 14. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there's a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Sweetness of life and hope. A heart of wisdom is a heart that experiences safety. Look at Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Rest, 
peace, goodness, hope, safety, wisdom, those are all so good. Some of you, however, may have noticed one thing about this sermon so far, something that's missing. I haven't mentioned the name of Jesus one time yet. Surely, if God entered into time and space to rescue humanity and to restore us back to whom he created us to be, then Jesus must fit into our understanding of gaining a heart of wisdom. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We may gain a heart of wisdom by numbering our days, but without hope in Christ, our answer could simply be hedonistic. You'd better get while the getting is good. Or if we number our days apart from Christ, our answer might be nihilistic. It might be life's tough and then you die. Or apart from Christ, our answer might align perfectly with Buddhist and Stoic philosophy. Don't get your hopes up too much. Don't have too many desires. You'll just get disappointed. But the resurrected, rescuing, redeeming, and restoring person of Jesus is the beginning and the end of true wisdom. Let me read that one more time. The resurrected, rescuing, redeeming, and restoring person of Jesus is the beginning and the end of true wisdom. Through Jesus, our hearts discover that death is not the end. That is wisdom. Through Jesus, our hearts acknowledge our adoption into the family of God. That is wisdom. Through Jesus, our hearts realize that we are in the process of being restored. Through Jesus, our hearts find the forgiveness that sets us free from the crushing weight of guilt and shame. And through Jesus, our hearts learned, learn that we are loved. And in that, we are satisfied. Let's take one moment and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for Moses' somewhat harsh but loving admonition um, that we number our days, Father, so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And Father, I thank you that your son Jesus is actually the beginning and the end of wisdom for us, Father, for it's in Jesus that everything becomes clear to us, who we are, who you are, Father. I pray that, um, that this morning um, you would begin this process in us of beginning to number our days, Father, that our hearts might indeed be shaped by that truth. We pray these things, Father, and we ask that you would indeed satisfy us with your love. In Jesus' name we pray.